Gordon, thank you for leading us this morning. In Philip's absence, he's away with his family this weekend. And it's always a pleasure to have you when you are leading us. Today, our passage of scripture for the message is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. We're going to read verses 21 through 28 today. I invite you to follow along on the screens or in your own Bible if you have it. Listen to the word of God. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to him and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves And take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and then will be and then will reward each person according to what they have done truly i tell you some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the son of man coming in his kingdom the word of the lord thanks be to god may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you o god our rock and our redeemer amen In the fourth chapter of Genesis, we find the story of sibling rivalry gone wrong. Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve. You remember Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. Cain grew jealous of his brother's offering to God and God's pleasure with that offering. So he tricked his brother to go out into the fields and he ended up taking his brother's life. And you remember the line that God gave to Cain. Where's your brother? Cain, where's your brother? And Cain replied, am I my brother's keeper? Like, am I responsible for my brother? What's the big deal? It was clear that he had no responsibility for his brother at all. The New Testament provides us a clear record that there is a standard for responsible Christian behavior. Jesus said, love one another. As I have you, you are to love one another. And he said a whole lot of other things about loving one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's very clear that there is a standard of 
Christian behavior that we are to be responsible for one another. It's a beautiful thing to see the responsible people of faith who have stepped up to help those who have experienced devastation out in Texas as a result of Hurricane Harvey. And right out on the credenza in the narthex, there are some forms that you can pick up to help you to contribute to put together a flood bucket that will help those who go in as we clean up or personal hygiene kits that will help those who are assisting medically. This is just one way that we can be responsible in our Christian behavior to our brothers and sisters, people we've never met before, but we know that's what we have to do because we are, we are our brothers and sisters keepers. Jesus preached this. Jesus modeled it in his ministry over and over again. But why, though, why is there often such a disconnect between what Jesus said and, what many, and the way that many Christians treat other people? Why is it that across our faith, we have trouble modeling what Jesus said as we apply it to life? This is a question that haunted Dallas Willard, Baptist theologian who taught philosophy at the University of Southern California for over 40 years. His conclusion was that churches did not teach people to believe and behave different than the world. He said churches need to spend more time focusing on spiritual formation, helping people to be formed in their theological education, and that they are formed in the way that Jesus would have them not only live, but engage with people in the community. So often, he said that Christians deify Jesus with our lips, that we defy him with our actions. There's often a disconnect that can be a stumbling block to others. And we'll hear that word stumbling block more as we go through the passage today. Every morning before I preach, I pray, and one of the prayers I pray is that, God, that I would not be a stumbling block or a hindrance to anyone who is gathered for worship, that I wouldn't get in their way of worshiping you and hearing your voice. Maybe I, I would commend that prayer to all of us as we engage in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools with people who may not know the Lord. Today, I hope that we will be able to connect what we believe with how we behave because there is a responsible Christian behavior that we must uphold. A couple of bullet points that our actions and words might have lasting consequences. That's something that we know is true. And we also know that Jesus said a whole lot about causing another to stumble. Today's scripture passage is set in Caesarea Philippi. You remember last Sunday we studied how he took his disciples up there to do some teaching because he knew that he was going to be setting his face toward Jerusalem and making the journey that would ultimately end on his death. Simon, if you remember, made his confession that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Christ. And then Jesus said, Peter, you are the rock, you are the stone, and on this rock I'm going to build my church. And then almost a moment after, 
Peter rebukes Jesus. He steps into the spotlight again, but this time he gets rebuked from Jesus instead of praise. There are two basic lessons that I want to focus on today. One is from Jesus and the other is from Peter. The first lesson is from Jesus, and that is that even our close friends can unknowingly tempt us. People can have good intentions, but can cause us to miss our purpose if we listen to them instead of God. If you're a baseball fan, you know well Yogi Berra, who had all kinds of neat sayings. The New York Yankees and the Milwaukee Braves were playing in the 1957 World Series, and Yogi Berra, the famed catcher for the Yankees, as usual, kept up his ceaseless chatter to pep up his teammates to distract the Milwaukee Braves. When power hitter Hank Aaron stepped up to the plate, Yogi tried to distract him by saying, Henry, you're holding the bat wrong. You need to turn it so that you can read the trademark. Well, Aaron didn't say anything, but on the ne- our very next pitch, he hit it over the wall. Home run. And as he rounded the bases and came by home plate, he looked at Yogi Bear and he said, I didn't come here to read. <laughs> Hank Aaron knew his purpose, and nothing would distract him from it. Jesus knew his purpose, and Peter attempted to distract him from his purpose. Jesus was to go to Jerusalem. He knew that. He was to suffer at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. He knew that. He was to be killed. He knew that. On the third day, he was to be raised. He knew that. Jesus was sharing this, quote, game plan with his disciples at Caesarea Philippi. And they just didn't, perhaps Peter especially, didn't understand what all that meant. Their vision of a victorious military warrior Messiah who would finally get the Romans off the backs of the Israelites is what they envisioned and what Jesus was saying was quite the contrary. Sometimes temptation can come from people who really mean well but can take us away from the purpose that God has given us. Simon the Rock became a stumbling block and Jesus had to rebuke the captain of his own team. Now we know the end of the story that he brought Jesus back into the fold and that he affirmed, Jesus brought Peter back into the fold and affirmed his leadership and his role. But in this very moment, Jesus sternly rebuked Peter. You and I need to know, sometimes people who are close to us with good intentions, wanting us to maybe feel good or have fun or live a little bit, can cause us to stumble. And we've got to be aware of that. The second lesson is one from Peter. And that is, do not give the adversary a foothold. Ephesians 4.27 reminds us of this. Don't give the adversary a foothold. Or Paul writes, don't give the devil a foothold. You see, when Jesus rebuked Peter... It was reminiscent of Jesus' rebuke of Satan when Jesus was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Jesus said in Matthew 4.10, Away with you, Satan. 
The difference is that Jesus commanded Satan to move away or depart completely. But here he commands Peter simply to assume his proper position, which is behind Jesus. So he didn't banish Peter. He says, take your proper position. This was the disciple's proper place, for a disciple is not to be above or ahead of his teacher. When Peter took Jesus aside to rebuke him, he moved in front of Jesus, seizing the initiative, seeking to lead Jesus on a different path away from his divine ordained purpose. Jesus knew for a moment in time that Peter had yielded some of the real estate in his heart over to Satan. As Paul warns in Ephesians, Satan had taken a foothold in Peter's spirit. It only takes just a little bit. Sometimes we, we might say, well, it's, you know, just a little bit. I, I, can, I can just watch a little bit of that on the internet and it's not going to bother me. Or I can just take a small sip or just have one or two and it's going to be okay. Or... Everybody else is doing it, and it's not going to be a, a hindrance to me, and I can still study and do well in school and go to the college that I want to go to. It's not a big deal. All we, or it, it could be just, you know, that, that person that kind of gives you a, a wink or a smile, and maybe it's just that casual lunch date, and you're like, mm, it's not a big deal. It just takes a little bit. Do not give the devil a foothold. In rock climbing, a foothold is a small depression or protrusion in the rock that will give a foothold or a toehold that enables the climber to scale the cliff or to scale the wall. Melanie's older brother is a rock climber. He's also an Anglican priest, so I bet he prays a lot as he's going up. You know, He loves it. I can't imagine doing what he does, but he loves it. Well, this June, a 32-year-old Sacramento native named Alex Honnold became the first person to scale El Capitan without ropes or safety gear. And if you have been to Yosemite National Park, and if you have seen El Capitan, you will wonder with your jaw dropped how he did that. El Cap, as it's called, is a 3,000-foot granite wall there in Yosemite. And after years of climbing some of the most challenging mountains around the world, Alex set his eyes on the epicenter of climbing, El Cap. And for about a year, he trained mentally and physically for this climb. And then one morning early this June, without any public fanfare, just a few people and some videographer there, he parked his van, mostly he lives in his van traveling around climbing, and hiked up the boulder-strewn path to the base of the cliff. There he put a pair of sticky-soled climbing shoes on, fastened a bag of chalk to his backside, which helped keep his hands dry, and found his first toehold or foothold. And then he began inching his way up toward not only history, but his destiny. Less than four hours later, he made the summit without any ropes or gear. This was the climb. And it all started with one toehold. 
It only takes a small toehold for the adversary to get a bit of ground in our hearts and we've given over precious real estate. This is exactly what happened to Peter. I don't think he intended to do it. I don't think he was ill-spirited in it. I think that unknowingly he thought that he would do what was good for Jesus and Satan was at work. Jesus acknowledges this. Jesus rebukes Satan, not Peter, and put Peter in his proper place as a disciple. Jesus made it very clear to Peter and the other disciples how to counter this because it can happen and we don't even know it. And he said, deny yourself, verse 24, take up your cross, follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me daily. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. We are freed from the fear of death. We are freed from the slavery of materialism. We are stronger when temptation rolls around again. We maintain integrity in the face of temptation and can look at ourselves in the mirror without guilt. We make sacrifices to help those who are in need without a sense of pride. Where there is a choice to be made, we take the narrow way, seeking to be more and more like Jesus, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus daily. So this passage invites two questions. First, are we a stepping stone or a stumbling block to others? Does our Christian behavior match up with our Christian beliefs? We can do a lot of work on right doctrine, but if we aren't practicing it, what difference does it make? Are we a stepping stone or a stumbling block? It's something I ask myself often. And the other question is, what needs to change in my life so that I am a responsible Christian to other people? Maybe there's just one thing that God is impressing upon you to do that can help you and me, us, to be responsible to those who are around us and that people could say, Why'd you do that? And that we might give them the reason for the hope we have. That we some way might be able to share with them Christ. Would you pray with me, please?